So have you had a good week? How many of you are tired? All right, nobody's admitting it, but they're just uh, a couple, okay? Yeah, I hear you. Uh, it came early, right? How many of you went to bed at your normal time to only realize you've just lost an hour of sleep? Awesome. I got to mow yesterday. I was going to mow just a little bit. Seven hours later, I decided it was time to pack up. And uh, so I had a little allergy, so that's why I got my coffee. If you do drink coffee in here, we love it. We're glad. Just put a lid on it. All right. Awesome. Cool deal. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Timothy chapter 3. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to be a part of an imperfect family. And so we're going to continue that series this morning. This will be a little bit different part of the series. But so over the last few weeks, we've talked about what does it mean to be in an imperfect family. And so we talked about belonging to an imperfect family and what that looks like to belong to that. And so there's going to be times where we're going to fight and disagree and all that. But that's a part of belonging to family. And then also in the family, you're going to receive Something And so in a, in a family, you should be receiving leadership. You should be receiving discipleship as you belong to that. And then also that you should be embraced that in a family that you're loved. And that this is one of the things maybe that this actually, whenever Jesus talks about the church family, he says this is the thing that actually distinguishes us from all other families is the way that we love one another, that people look at how the church and how Christians take care of one another and that people want to be a part of that type of a thing. And so... We talked about embracing and that this idea of, of holding on to even when we don't want to and that there's the depth of what an embrace can be and mean. And it expresses the inexpressible, right? And someone when hugs you and embraces you. Then also this idea of contribute. And what does it mean that even from a 2 to 92, we can all contribute to the family in different ways? And so what does it look like for us to be a part of a church family and how can we contribute? Um, and what, what are the gifts and talents and skills that God has given you to do that. And so today I kind of want to pull back the curtain just a little bit behind the scenes on church. And, and we've talked about parents and spiritual parenting. And so I want to kind of pull back the curtain on that and kind of talk to you about what are spiritual parents? What does it look like for a church to have um, some parents that kind of lead and guide and direct? And so a lot of times when we talk about this idea of parents within a church, you call them pastors, or in some places they call them elders. And so I want to dig into this idea of what does it mean to have elders? What does it mean to have deacons? And, and so this is not necessarily a typical message. So if it's your first time with us, you're like, what in the world's going on? But I want to kind of pull back. I want to educate you just a little bit on some, some different things and what it looks like for us to be a New Testament church family. Even as imperfect as we are, what does it look like? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Timothy chapter 3. And we'll kind of put your finger there, hold there. We'll spend some time there along with some other verses as well, but in First Timothy chapter 3. And so if you've been to any different types of churches, churches do church leadership a little bit. Everyone has a tendency to do things a little differently. But what I want us to dig in on is what, what is the healthiest way for us to do church in a New Testament context. So um, there's three words that we're going to be looking at, and those three words are elder. Okay, So see that word underneath elder? Say that with me. Ready? Presbyteros. All right, good. Y'all are okay. Say it again. Ready? What does it say? Good. What is that English word you think we get from that? Presbyterian. Good job. All right. So elder, Presbyterian. The other word that we're looking at is pastor or shepherd. Poimon, poimen. Okay. And so this is the idea of a shepherd. That's someone that guides and leads and directs. And so Jesus was a carpenter, but David was a shepherd. There's all kinds of shepherd. And shepherding and sheep are instrumental all throughout Scripture. 
And so a shepherd is someone that, that leads and guides and cares for the sheep and makes sure that, um, that they're taken care of and that they stand watch at night and all those different kind of things. So we'll talk about what that means for me as a pastor to be a shepherd. And then also the other word is bishop. And so underneath that word bishop, you see eskapos. Y'all say that? Look at that. Y'all are Greek students. That's awesome. What English word do you see in that? Episcopal. Okay, so you can see where the Presbyterian Church and the Episcopal Church, they get their names from those words. And so um, Baptists, we get that name from what? Anybody have an idea? Baptizo, which means to immerse under, okay? And so there you go. There's your three words. You can take those to lunch and a nickel and get you nothing, all right? So important things. So elder, bishop, pastor, those three words are interchangeable. And so all the times that they're used in the New Testament, they're interchangeable words used in the context of the local church. So Second Baptist Church, or whatever church that Paul and Barnabas or the early church leaders were going to, they would go to different churches, they would establish establish new churches. So Paul's call was to go around to share the gospel and to start new churches, and every time that he would start a new church, he would put elders in charge. And so when he would put one of these elders, these pastors, these bishops in charge, they were leading, it was a group of men, so a plural group of called and qualified men to lead out in guiding and protecting and feeding and leading the, the sheep, leading the family together. And so this is that idea that I want you to grasp, is what does it look like for us as a church here to have pastors and shepherds and bishops that are working together to lead and to guide and direct in the direction that they go? One of the interesting things about being a shepherd in those days is that the shepherd would go before and would scout out where the good pasture was going to be. They would scout out where the best water would be. And so along the path, and and, and an interesting thing in Israel and Jerusalem, it's actually a very desert area, so it's very hard to find grass. And so you have to, to look and examine and spend a lot of time in finding where the best pasture is. And so those shepherds would go before and examine and look for where's the best path, the safest path, so that my sheep can get to a place where they can be filled and fed. And so that's take that to today. What a pastor is supposed to do is to go before his people and to find places of safety, to see where there's danger, that we, we look at the culture, we look at the world and find where there's um, possible pitfalls, possible opportunities for us to get in danger and to get entrapped by something. Where are the wolves going to be attacking the sheep? And so as pastors, we're kind of going along that way because our desire is to put you in a place, to put us as a body in a place where we're able to rest and to eat from the best food that God has for us. And so as a shepherd, that's one of the things that keeps me awake at night. As a matter of fact, this was one of those weeks. Even Becky and I were discussing it yesterday. I was like, I I probably had two hours of sleep a night just tossing and turning and caring and thinking about because one of the things that I struggle with as a person is you. And I mean that in the, in the way that because of this thing that God's laid on my heart is you, that there are nights that I wake up in the middle of the night burdened by your stuff. Because I don't want for you to fall from the cliff. I don't want for you to be swept away from a stream that's moving too fast. I don't want for you to eat junk because you don't trust the pastor to get you to the best grass to feed from. 
and that I see as I deal with and, and walk with you in life is that so many times that we as sheep, and I'm a sheep as well, we settle for less. We settle for not the best and we get impatient. And so we kind of see something that we think is going to be good for us. And so we go off to this place and we begin to eat. And all of a sudden we realize we're all alone and we're by ourselves and we're not where we need to be. And so that as a pastor, as I'm, I'm walking with you and you come in and we, we talk about these things, I want, I want to let you know that my heart is for you. One of the other things that I've kind of been dealing with this week and thinking about this is that, you know, none of us see ourselves very well. How many of you carry around a mirror with you? Most of the ladies are like, yes, I'm not going to announce it, but yes, I carry a mirror with myself. But we don't see ourselves very well. Matter of fact, if you've ever seen somebody and you're like walked up to them and you're like, have you looked in the mirror recently? And usually it's a guy, right? And they've got mustard on their face or they've got food or whatever. They've got crusties in their eyes or something like that. And, and, and so we're not very good. We have a tendency sometimes to not be very good at looking at and inspecting ourselves in the mirror. And one of the things that as a church family and as your pastor, one of the things that we're called to do is to actually present a mirror to you. And say, hey, where are some things that need to have some, some adaptation, some change, and some transformation? And so this morning, I want us to kind of look at one of those things, one of these ideas of what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be an elder, and that you're, how we try to lead and guide and direct in the amount of care, in the amount of prayer, in the amount of weeping, in the amount of lost sleep that takes place. As a matter of fact, I shared in the first service that there's the three most difficult jobs in the world, the most stressful jobs. Number one is president of the United States. Number two is pastor of a local church. Number three is a hospital uh, administrator. The average pastor, this is real exciting news here, the average pastor passes away at 52 years of age. So we're actually, we're uninsurable as a group anymore because we're a high risk. Because of the calling that pastors feel and sense that's beyond us, we, can't, we are not God, so we can't be at all places at all times with you offering wisdom, but we want you to take the bits and pieces of nuggets that we give you on Sunday and that you flesh out on your own during the week and make sense of this so that you can find the good food. You can find the pastors that provide rest for you. So this morning, that's what I'm doing, is I want to just pull back this curtain just a little bit so you can see into the world that, that I live with and, and all that. One of the other things that I've been thinking about this week is this idea of community. And what does it look like for us to truly live in community? And so not just this LaGrange community, we talk about that, and so under times the community comes together, but this idea of biblical community and what is it like to be known and to truly be known by someone? And that it's one of the most difficult things for pastors. I think it's one of the most difficult things for all of us. Because when we walk in the room, we want people to say, hey, Chris. But do we really want people to know Chris? And all of us, I think, generally we would say on certain levels, but not on the deeper level. 
And then we have a natural tendency of, yeah, we kind of do life groups. And we've, if we've kind of gotten that figured out, we're, we're doing some life groups. And so we're sharing some stuff and we're kind of growing in that way. And we're getting to know each other. And so there's the layers of the onion are kind of being peeled away. But that whenever life really hits, our natural tendency, human tendency, is instead of pressing into community, instead of pressing into those that are know us and are trying to know us, we press out because of we're, we're ashamed because we're, we have some pride. We have some, I don't want people to know the depths of my evil, the depths of my depravity, the depths of my blackness of my soul. And so we have a tendency to push away from those that want to embrace us the best. And so what does that look like? How, how do we move you? How do I get you to understand that, that the very thing that you kind of push away from is the very thing that you should be pushing into? To truly be known. And I know that there's this other layer for us because we're in a small town is if, if someone truly knows me, my stuff may get out. And so you've got to, you've got to flush that out of what does it look like that I can find some two or three people that I can really do life with and they know me. And that when my stuff hits the fan, that they'll embrace me. That they'll love me. Like the world is looking at what the New Testament church and what New Testament Christians should look like, that they'll embrace me and hold me and express the inexpressible. Because even if they haven't walked those roads that I've walked or that I'm even walking in, that they will embrace me. As 2 Corinthians chapter 1 even talks about that some of us have walked some places so that the very reason is that we can embrace others as they're walking through the depths of their pain and their mess. And so what does it look like for us to be a New Testament church? That flushes us out. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you're going to see that there's, before we do that, I'm going to, guys back in the back, jump to Acts 20. It's one of those first slides. And I want you to see this, all these people mingling together. But when we landed at Miletus, this is Paul and a group talking. He sent a message to the elders, to the, say it. Very good. All right. Y'all are getting a B plus right now in Greek of the church at Ephesus. So here Paul is talking and he's sending out a message and he's asking for the elders of the church of Ephesus to meet with them. And they're to come and meet him. And when they arrived, Paul declared to these guys, what did he declare? He's talking to the elders, to the pastors, to the bishops. He's giving them a word. Here's your direction for what you're to be about. And so you see these different names intertwined together in this local church body. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd, pastor them. God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders, the bishops, to invest in, to guide and direct. So what does it mean for this group of men coming together to lead out and guide and direct? It's a plural group of men that are called and qualified to lead the sheep to the pasture. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, a pastor, a bishop, he desires an honorable position. Now this word aspires carries with it this, this idea of being, a, being called. How many of you have ever received a phone call? And nowadays we have ID, right? So when someone calls and you see the ID, if you see that, that name on there and you like it, you answer it usually. Or if you see the name and you're not willing to talk to them, you let it go to voicemail, right? Okay, yeah, exactly. 
And so this is this idea of here, Paul is telling Timothy, he says, there are going to be those that have received a specific call to lead out within the church. And that's an honorable call. It's a difficult call, but it's an honorable call. Now, there's two calls that we receive in general as followers of Jesus. The first call is a general call to salvation. And so that at some point along the way, if you're a Jesus follower, that Jesus has spoken specifically to your heart and to your mind and to your soul, and you have answered that call and responded and said, I believe that you are the Son of God, the Messiah, who died on the cross for my sins, and I need you. That's the general call to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So that general call. And then there's another call to you have been called to lead out in ministry in some way. And so for me, that specific call came between my junior and senior year in high school. And I was at camp and God just, I knew that I knew that I knew in my soul that God was calling me to do something different with my life than what I had planned at that moment. And so as I kind of flushed that out, it was, I wasn't going to be a pastor. I wasn't going to be involved in a pastor church and all that different kind of stuff. And God's kind of laughed at me along the way and clarified what that is. But there's this calling to leadership within a church. And so then the very next thing that he talks about other than that calling is he talks about what it means for us to then be qualified. Because even whenever I was talking to Second Baptist and the group of that were gathered together and say, hey, we're looking for a pastor, we're looking for an elder to be the pastor and leader of this church, there were qualifications that we had to meet. And so here's some of the qualifications that are necessary for someone to not only can be called, but the qualifications you need to be leading out for a variety of different reasons. Verse 2. So an elder, a pastor, must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside of the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. That's some heavy stuff. In other words, that there's these qualifications for leading within the church, but then there's also these qualifications that people with outside, people within the community, that as they see the pastors, the leaders, that they look at them and go, hey, there's something about them that I want to imitate, I want to emulate, because my call as your pastor, basically I'm standing up here every single week saying to you, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Now, that's weighty. That means everything that I do, everything that I say, that the moments that I get excited at a basketball game and I educate the refs on their incompetence, that people are looking and going, is that what a pastor does? You see what I'm saying? I mean, all those things are wrapped up in that because people are watching and they're saying, if that's the leader of that body of believers, do I want to be a part of that body? Do I want that shepherd shepherding me? Does, can that guy take me to the places of freedom? 
And so what I'm telling you is, is that, that God set this idea up of, of a group of guys doing this together, that it's not me on my own, but a group of guys, because again, there's going to come moments where my humanity is I want to press out from community when in fact I need to be pressed in and to be embraced and to be held in such a way to say, listen, I know this is a tough thing. I know this is a tough responsibility, but we're going to walk with you through this. And that's what elders do for and with one another. It's a move past just doing life groups, but doing life. And that that's the, the call for all of us. And that these group of elders are modeling and mimicking and shaping out and saying, imitate us as we model what it looks like to live in community together. That these, these plural group of men are, are called and that they're qualified. What are, what are the things, what are the responsibilities of these elders? The first thing that an elder is supposed to do is they're supposed to be able to teach. In First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we just read about it. He says, they are to be teachers. And so obviously this is one of the things that I do. I teach, and, and I've had the fortune of going and traveling all over the world and teaching. And there's different levels and different types of teaching. So some teach in Sunday school, some teach life groups, some teach VBS. So there's different ways of teaching, and that's fleshed out. But the first thing is to teach. That one of my mentors said that there is no problem, there is no issue within the church or within someone's life that they can't be taught out of. And that the very thing that I teach is this. That constantly trying to, as sheep, trying to understand what God's word is and, and to teach it in such a way that you understand that everything in here has worth and value and it is relevant. I know that we're in a culture that says this isn't relevant, but I would tell you that it is because I've experienced it and I've known it. Not just know it, but experience and know it, that whenever we decide to be obedient to this, it transforms our heart and our mind and our soul and our relationships and how we do life. And it's life-giving. So I've experienced it and know it. But we need to be able to, to teach, to, to feed. The other thing that an elder is supposed to do, be able to do is to, to lead to lead God's people through example and character and skill. And, and we see this even in King, King David in Psalm chapter 78, that, that David, even though he wasn't a perfect person, was called to lead. And he was a shepherd, and so he was kind of set up for this deal like of, of leading and what it meant to lead his people as a shepherd. And the two things that come out in that passage in Psalm 78 too is that he led them with a true heart, not a perfect heart, but a true heart, and with skillful hands. And so that together these two things work together to be able to lead the nation of Israel, to feed and to lead, and then also to protect. The third thing, the role of an elder is to protect his people, God's people, from false teaching, spiritual apathy, and sin. One of the things I constantly, I love this, is I constantly get emails from you guys asking questions. Like, hey, Pastor Chris, explain this from the message a little bit. Go, can you explain that thing a little bit deeper and, and talk about that? Because I've only got 30 minutes. I mean, I could do this for hours, but you guys got to go to lunch. And so, like, dig into that a little bit deeper. And so, you know, asking those questions and go back. And that there are times where there's some things that, that you begin to believe or you hear from other teachers and other things and it begins to kind of move you away from, from stuff that maybe is biblical. And so I have to have those conversations because, again, part of my role is to protect you from walking down a road because one degree off 
over a long period of time misses the port. And so not to say that I'm perfect or have all the answers, but there are some things that, that, listen, I need to protect you because if you go this direction, you're going to think you're heading in the right way and you're going to be missing out on God's best for you. And so this is one of the things that as an elder, as a pastor, is to protect. It's one of the roles of a father, right, is that we're willing to lay down our life. But this is what this idea of, of, of submitting even, that, that wives are to submit to their husbands. And I know that's even, I've even had people ask me, hey, don't include that word in our, in our uh, wedding ceremony. And I'm like, well, somebody else is going to have to do your wedding. And because, because of what I want you to grasp is that a wife submits because the husband is willing to give his life. Because the husband that is a follower of Jesus is obviously not perfect, but if they understand that Christ gave his life for the church, then that's our call is that we're to lay down our life for our wife and that our wife and children are looking at that and that is a model. And what wife, as I've seen over history, is willing to submit to the husband that's saying, hey, listen, I'm willing to lay down my life for you and for this. And this idea of submit really means is that we're 100% trying to outserve one another. And so that if a husband and wife are together working to outserve one another, that, hey, she's taking care of the things that I don't like to do and vice versa, and you're kind of this whole idea of we're trying to outserve one another, and then there's that moment where there's something that calls for this little extra sacrifice that I'm willing to step in front of the bus or the car or whatever to give my life for hers, why wouldn't she be willing to submit in that moment and say, this is your call in that, to protect? And so that is even my role here is I'm to, to protect and to be the lead sacrificer and the lead servant protect you. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, it said this way, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. In other words, when we do community, to care for one another and to watch over, because we're human. Turning away from, make sure that you don't turn away from the living God, so that you must warn each other every day, while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So, I mean, even this morning I had a conversation with someone asking about, there was this pastor that was on TV and he kind of expressed something about a topic, abortion. And it bothers a lot of hearts. So I'm not going to delve into that today, but, but that's part of it, is to help us think through some of those difficult things that we're thinking about and we're dealing with as a culture. And so how do we love well while holding to a standard that's God's standard? And that's part of protecting. What does that look like? And so if you're trying to do that alone and by yourself, it's easy to be pushed back and forth by the waves if you don't living in community to stand strong. The other thing that an elder is supposed to do is to care for the people. In first Peter chapter five, verses one and two, care the pastor for the flock that God's entrusted you. Watch over him that when the one has gone away, that there has to be others to care for the 99 so you can pursue the one. Watch over the church body, the flock, willingly and not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. And then finally, missional. That I'm to be on mission and living this out. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus offers his one of his last words to his disciples, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and then here's your mission. 
as you are to be, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as you, what are we teaching them? We're teaching them to obey the commands. And as they become the new disciples, you're teaching them that obedience means love and love means obedience and, and all of this. And so that what the thing that I'm supposed to be doing is living this out on a daily basis and you're supposed to be living this out because my calling is in some ways, in many ways, your calling because my first calling isn't to vocational ministry. My first calling is to Jesus. Your first calling is to Jesus. And so this very command in Matthew 28 that is to me is also to you. And so we're all missionaries as followers of Jesus. We're all missional people so that when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to play, when we go to all those different things, we're therefore going to make disciples. And so as they become disciples, as you've seen here, someone kind of gets to that place, then we baptize in the name of the Father and of Son and the Holy Spirit. And that then we're always trying to flesh this out. What does it mean to be an obedient follower of Jesus? What does it mean to love in such a way that the people are looking and saying, I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of that family. Because of how they love. Because of how they embrace because of how there's contribution by everybody, because of the way that there's leadership and direction, the way that they, everyone belongs to the family, the way that they just do family. Doesn't mean we don't fight. Doesn't mean that there's not discipline. Doesn't mean that there's not times where we struggle with some things, but that this family, even in the midst of the darkest struggles, instead of pressing away, they press in and they embrace and they do life together because they love one another. And the only way that we can love one another is if we imitate Jesus. Because listen, some of us, we're stinky sheep. And there are sometimes we don't even love ourselves, much less would anybody want to love us except to be reminded of the fact that Jesus gave all because of his love for us. And as we strive to flesh out what it means to be a follower of him and to embrace his teachings to love one another, that we're going to love the stinkiness of our friends in that moment because we know our time's coming. And that we know that someone else has embraced us and our stench, and washed, even washed our stinky feet when they needed to be washed. So we pull back the curtain just a little bit to understand what it means, what this whole thing is, and why I do what I do, and the stress that I willingly take on to care for and to love. And what I'm saying to you is, listen, I want you to imitate me. I want you to imitate your elders as we strive to imitate Jesus and that we care deeply for you. We toss and we turn late into the night and into the early morning because we love you. Because of this overwhelming sense of this call that you can't run from. 
Once you've tasted it, you cannot run from it. There's multiple days that I think, man, God, if there was anything else than this, give it to me. And day after day, he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I love you. I want the best for you. How can we as a body love one another in such a way that people say, I want to be a part of this family? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the great shepherd, you are the great pastor, you are the great elder, bishop, and leader, and that you feed, protect, and care, and guide. And that even your son came on mission to serve and not be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as a great shepherd, you even gave your life for your sheep. That a hired hand would run, but the true shepherd lays down his life. And the Father, that that's our model. That's our call. It's to fight for your sheep to the death. Thank you for that call. Thank you for that privilege and honor and responsibility. May we see many more come to be sheep in God's family. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.